Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. Acts 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were be bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them, each of us, in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, and we are hearing them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Thank you so much, Claire. Do keep that passage open, but I'll be dotting about a bit because um, this morning's sermon is going to be more thematic than it is uh, expositional. And I'm starting this because hopefully if it goes well, uh, we can put it on the website as uh, something which helps people understand who we are at Cornerstone Church, what we're seeking to be uh, under God. Uh, thank you uh, for your support, uh, for me having a couple of weeks away. Um, treatment for my back, it's been really, really helpful. Uh, so it's great to be back and to see you all. Uh, but let's just pray, shall we, as we come to God's word, as, as we think about our conviction here at Cornerstone that we want to start everything we do in the home. So let's, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you so much that you died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that you were raised from the dead to give us a new life and a right standing before you are God. And 
Heavenly Father, and we, and we praise you, Lord, as you promised, that you poured out your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, inspired by your Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher, that he would reveal fresh truths and renew old truths to our hearts, that we might live for your praise and glory. Amen. Well, it might be helpful to have a, a Bible open that you can sort of flick backwards and forwards. Because very um, early in our history as a church, uh, we had to meet in our homes, partly because we were small uh, in number, uh, and this was far more viable financially and in terms of uh, human resources, but partly also because of COVID. Remember those days? <laughs> but at the same time, I had the privilege of doing some study and was uh, amazed to discover the largely domestic or house-based nature of Jesus' ministry and the first century church. And from this, we have a conviction as a church that we start everything we do in the home. We call it starting in the home. Discipleship, evangelism, leadership, biblical counsel. And we recognize that this might be new to some of us who've joined more recently, and so I thought it'd be good to look at this again. Um, as we go into the, the year ahead, uh, as well as um, sort of reminding ourselves that this is one of the central things that we hope to, to do under God. And so I hope it's going to be helpful for those of us who are relative newcomers, but also for those of us who've been here from the start and it gets eroded away, doesn't it, by the traditions that we've received from churches we've been involved with. And we know that we have to unlearn certain habits from uh, churches that we can look back on who've been mightily used of God and yet maybe culture is changing and we need to change not the, untruth, the unchanging truths of scripture but as many uh, preachers have said that the clothes by which those truths come to people. Now we call the past in, in sort of language that we use the Christendom model. What is the Christendom model? Well it's those traditions which have developed over the centuries where the building is the church. So it's reflected in our language, isn't it? I'm going to church. Oh, that's a beautiful church. It's very easy to confuse the cultural language about church with the truths of the Bible, which only speaks ever of the church being the people. Let's just uh, keep a finger in Acts, and let's just flip forward to uh, 1 Corinthians. Just thought, I'm sure we're all convinced of this, but it's helpful to be reminded, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, as Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church are those who are sanctified, those who've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the people. Uh, I'm sure for most of us that's a given. But starting in the home is, is making the claim, if you like, that the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the apostles, the ministry of the early church was focused on the house, on the household. It's a family to belong to rather than an event or a building to attend. Why is this important? Why do we think that this is crucial in our identity as a church as it should be in any church? It's not saying that we don't think it's a good idea for churches to, to, to meet in buildings or that there's something wrong about buildings. But there are dangers, uh, temptations that we can fall into. So what does it mean to say 
starting everything in the home? Why is it worth persevering, reminding one another about? Well, two points uh, this morning. Firstly, be expectant. Jesus Christ ministered in houses. And secondly, be confident. God began the church in a house by the Holy Spirit. So firstly, be expectant. Jesus Christ ministered in houses. Where do you, where do I, expect God to be at work? Where do we anticipate he will lead people to faith in his son, Jesus Christ? Do we still consider the main place where this happens to be when we gather in a church building? Well, let's look at uh, Jesus' ministry. So uh, let's flip back to Mark chapter 2, which you'll find on page 837. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Jesus came to his home, literally, he was in the house. Jesus had moved from Nazareth, and where he, whether he rented a house or stayed with Simon and Andrew, he'd come home, maybe to an extended complex of houses, often based on a family. Anyway, he had come home to that house, and they'd gathered in such large numbers that there wasn't even space outside the door, but Jesus was still inside, he was speaking, literally, the word to them. That's where he was ministering. And it is in this context that the paralyzed man, we, we, we perhaps know the story, was lowered down through the roof of the house where Jesus was. And then verse 5, Jesus saw their faith and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. God forgave this man's sin through the ministry of Jesus in that house. People became Christians, were forgiven in a house, in a home. And if you're not a Christian yet, or if you're listening to this and wondering, well, what's all this about? You can meet God. You can meet Jesus Christ in your own home. You don't have to come to church, but you do have to meet the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You need to hear his word. You need to trust in what Jesus has done for you. You need to hear those words from the risen Lord Jesus to you, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be Forgiven by Jesus. You might say, well, how can this happen? Well, it might happen by people coming to visit you and to explaining to you what the good news of Jesus is. It, it, it may be that you're watching this later on a video or listening to a podcast. Jesus can meet you exactly where you are. You don't have to come to church to meet with God. You can meet him in his people as they bring the good news of Jesus to you. And if we're Christians here this morning, do we accept, expect the same to be true today? Do we think Jesus can still forgive people on the street, uh, in their home, on a hillside? Yes, Jesus went to the synagogue. He preached in the temple. We're not saying that Jesus didn't minister in the the buildings of the day which were given over to the teaching of God's word, the Old Testament. But it was the teachers of the law that did not believe in what Jesus was doing and exclaimed, verse 7, let's just look back at verse 7, 
Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God could forgive sins. And here was this man claiming to be able to forgive sins not at the temple where the sacrifices were offered, but on his own authority as God. See, they rightly recognize that only God can forgive sins. And yet here was a human being forgiving sin. And yet they could not see that Jesus was the temple to which the actual building pointed. He was the sacrifice to which all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed. He was the way to meet with God, to be forgiven. But this happened in the home. Let's look at another instance of forgiveness coming to people outside the temple through Jesus. Let's flip forward to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees, sorry, page 864. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, this was a, a triclinium. It was how the Roman houses uh, were organized. Uh, by the culture of the day, you would lie down to eat. I don't know whether that was very good for your digestion or not, but anyway, that's what they did. Uh, and there would be a central table, and the, the couches would be organized around it. And the houses of the day were also open to the public. There were areas of the house which were private and areas of the house which were public, often used for business or meetings. And so we read, And behold, verse 37, A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She showed her devotion to Jesus in this house. And Jesus draws a lesson for Simon, the religious temple-attending, synagogue-attending Pharisee. Verse 44, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. See, Simon had not even done the basic pleasantries and courtesies of the day, and yet here this woman was showing her devotion to Jesus in another person's house. See, what are we expecting to happen in our homes? Are we expecting that this is the place where we demonstrate our greatest acts of devotion and praise and emotion? Yet when we go to the pages of Scripture, we see people showing Jesus the greatest acts of devotion in any kind of place, in a house, by a river, in a prison. The place where it is easier for those who feel excluded from church by their sin and shame to respond with devotion to Jesus. 
Uh, one of the best things about the course that I've um, just been on, uh, apart from helping me with my back condition, is that I'm thrown together with uh, other people from all walks of life. So I met a retired banker who lives just down the road in Malden, a, a carpet fitter, so, uh, someone who works for British Steel, a psychotherapist, a car mechanic, a delivery driver for Waitrose. Uh, and we had our condition in common, which was great. Uh, and uh, it didn't take long for spiritual things to be talked about. You know, you don't admit to being a pastor and then, it, you know, they just ignore it. Well, sometimes they do, but not on this case. But where did we talk about spiritual things? Well, it was at the pub. It was at the cricket club. It was in one of the sort of areas, that, the wards that we were staying. It was in the cafe. How many do you think responded to my invitation to come to church? Well, none. It's our common experience, is it not? And our confidence is dented. Are people interested? Are people want? Yes, they are. But for whatever reason, like those in the first century, they find it difficult to come to organized religion as they imagine it to be, as their experience maybe has been. And to be, although when I went to church, it, it, it was great. It was uh, related to some of the folk here. It was, it was lovely to be there. I was thinking of those people that I had been talking with at the pub, and I was thinking, they would struggle. Even singing songs is weird. And maybe we just need to go back to Scripture and have our expectations raised and our confidence raised about how God works in homes, in pubs, in cafes, in the workplace. We don't have to get people here for them to encounter Jesus. If he is at work in those places, as he was in his own ministry, then our expectation goes up. Wherever we go, Jesus can be at work. People can be forgiven by Jesus there. I find that an encouraging thought. And it's also a thought that helps me think, well, how much time do I spend in my Christian life trying to get people to this gathering, which is important, as we'll see, and how much time have I got left over informally to be in other people's homes or having them round for a meal and being able to talk about Jesus because that's where he can be at work. And we just need to be careful. I need to be careful if all those informal opportunities are overwhelmed by the model that we've had for a thousand years, which is, no, you get people to a building. That's where they will meet God. It's not how Jesus did it. It's not how the early church did it. And maybe we're living in days which are more like those days than they have been for the last thousand years. But maybe we're new to Christian things and you're watching this or listening to it in our podcast. Maybe we're disabled and we cannot come to church. Maybe our mental health means we cannot deal with this big gathering of people. We are overwhelmed by it. Well, as a church, I want you to know we're committed to starting with you in your home so that you can understand who Jesus is and come to know him and be forgiven yourselves. If you want to come to know Jesus, you don't need to come to church. Church will come to you. By which I don't mean that 20 or 30 of us will suddenly turn up unannounced in your lounge. Rather, we want to minister like Jesus did. We can read the Bible with you one-to-one, -one, in person or online. We'd, we'd love to. 
In fact, this will be one of our emphases in the year ahead as we work through the Gospel of Luke, so that all of us will feel confident to do that with anybody, anywhere, like Jesus did, like the apostles did, like the early church did. But I wonder if we sometimes think this way. I'm conscious that I do. We want colleagues, we want family, we want friends to come to know the forgiveness that we know. That their greatest need is to know Jesus Christ. But when we invite them to church, they won't come for whatever reason. Well, maybe we need to have our expectations raised by the scriptures and the Spirit's paranoia that God can meet them where they are, not just emotionally, but geographically as well. We may need to unlearn some of the, the reflexes of the Christendom model because we're moving into days which are more like the days of the New Testament when Jesus and the apostles and the early church ministered in homes. We need to get right the, the forces at work, if you like. I know that sounds a bit impersonal. Um, um, I always found it confusing to think about the centrifugal and the centripetal forces. I'm, I'm sort of looking around and thinking, somebody might need to correct me. I might get this wrong, okay? But I think centrifugal force is the force that goes out. When you're, you know, you're sort of spinning around, yeah? Cent- I think centrifugal force is the force that goes out, and the centripetal one is the one that goes in. Anyway, correct me afterwards. The main thing is is that there's forces going in both directions. If you're pulling towards the center, there's an equal and opposite force going out. Newton's something law. See how much physics I've forgotten. See, we enjoy ministry when we gather. God pulls us together to push us out. That's why we're gathered. Church is not just the gathering, it's also the going. We see this in the pages of the New Testament. We'll see it in a moment. See, the danger of the Christendom model is that it's all about gathering and it all happening here and not about going, despite the fact that we're sent out in words. Part of the problem of Israel, part of its disobedience, was it was all about the temple, all about gathering and not about going to the nations. There's lots of other dangers, I think, and time forbids me from going into this in too much detail, but if it's all about the gathering, then it's all about the building, and it's all about money, and it's all about bums on seats, and things can all get slightly warped. Jesus' ministry was largely in homes, and on hillsides, and on streets, and yes, he went to the temple, and yes, he went to the synagogue, and guess what happened? That's where he was rejected. That's where they started to plan to get rid of him. But we may say, oh, well, that was what Jesus did. You know, be expectant. Jesus Christ ministers in houses, but that was him then, there. He had to meet people because he was incarnate. He couldn't have gone into public much because he was mobbed when he traveled. Doesn't happen to me that much. He was hunted down by the Pharisees when he went to the temple, so he had to be careful when he went there. We can't do everything that Jesus did. And wasn't this just Jesus Christ's way of doing things because he was a human being? He lived in a house, so he did ministry in houses. Isn't this a false deduction? No, I don't think so. 
but do test what I'm saying. And I think it's not a false deduction because of the day of Pentecost and the practice of the apostles. So this leads us on to our second and shorter point. Be confident God began the church in a house by the Holy Spirit. Be confident God began the church in a house by the Holy Spirit. So back to Acts chapter 2. And as I said, we're dotting around rather than working our way through. But I think my exposition is clear, if not fulsome. Let's just think where Acts begins. So chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. See, the Acts of the Apostles isn't an inspired title. Luke, who wrote Luke's Gospel and Acts, is indicating right at the beginning, these are the continued acts and teachings of Jesus, the risen Lord, who now dwells in heaven through his apostles. He hasn't stopped doing and teaching. Okay, until the day when he was taken up after they had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Yes, it was through the apostles, but these are still the acts of Jesus, the risen Christ, we might say. And they gather in an upper room. We see that in verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And there's the 12 apostles. And there were the other disciples. And they were all in the upper room. Might have been the same upper room where Jesus appeared, risen. It may be the same upper room where they celebrated the Lord's Supper. But Jesus chose an upper room for these key salvific events Salvation history. These are key events. The Passover is transformed into the Lord's Supper. Jesus appears bodily raised repeatedly in the upper room. And now the Holy Spirit comes. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I'm, I'm overemphasizing this. I'm laboring this. But it's interesting, isn't it? The Acts of the Apostles finish, starts in a house and finishes in a house. There's usually no accident where books start and finish. So if you just flip to the end of Acts, you get rejection by the temple, you get rejection by all the synagogues, you get rejection all the way through, and uh, Jesus continues to speak and to teach through his apostles. And then at the end of Luke's book, we, we leave Paul, verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without, without hindrance. Paul under house arrest, in his house, proclaiming the gospel. But back to Acts 2, what's going on when the Holy Spirit fills the people who are in this house. Well, look with me at chapter 2, verse 17. And in the last day, so Peter is explaining what's going on, the fact that people, everybody, every Christian who is now indwelt and filled by the Holy Spirit is speaking. Remember the sort of centripetal, centrifugal? They're being sent out. That's what happens. They're gathered. The Holy Spirit comes, sent out to all nations. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Well, let's not get into too much detail about that. It just basically means speaking about God, speaking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come because of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus in the last days between the day that Jesus ascends to heaven and the day he returns so that every Christian, boys and girls, men and women, old and young, is equipped to speak of Jesus. Now, this isn't to deny that there are those particularly gifted to speak the word of God in churches, that we know there's apostles and prophets and pastors, teachers and evangelists. But what is their purpose? The purpose is to help everybody speak of Jesus. And it begins in the home and it ends in the home. And it happens in loads and loads of different places in between. Not so much in synagogues. Synagogues doesn't go so well. The buildings that were legally recognized by the Roman Empire which if you left and set up your own, you were illegal and would be persecuted and imprisoned. So no, this isn't just an emphasis of Jesus' ministry. It's an emphasis of the apostles' ministry. The major salvation historical events happen in a home. Luke starts and ends in a home. The idea is the word of God goes everywhere, by all means. And then uh, as we close, I just wanted us to go to, to 1 Timothy, because you might say, well, what about leadership? You know, leadership, surely that's about going to theological college and um, becoming weird. Um, no. <laughs> Where is the test for leadership critically important? 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, this is the, the central aspect of this pastoral epistle, uh, many would say. I hope, verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, Paul is writing to Timothy, but I, I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The house of God, the household of God, the literally house law of God. And so because there is this house law of God, this management that God has over his household, then those who lead God's people are also to have the oikonomos, the management of their own households. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how can he care for God's church? Household, house, is, is the same word. Now, we're not seeking to preserve a, a Christendom model where people come to a building. We're seeking at Cornerstone to be a family, which is God's household, that is full of hospitality, as the pastorals emphasize. When our, our marriages, if we're married, are important. Our families are important. And we gather together in homes often, to go out to minister in homes. We, we want to start everything in the home, leadership, discipleship, biblical counsel, others coming to know Jesus by being forgiven by him. And we can be confident about this because God started the church in a house. The language that is used of the church is 
temple language, sacrificial language. All the activities of the tabernacle and the temple are now in you and me. We are priests, are we not? We can teach people. We can bring the forgiveness of God to people because we are filled by the Holy Spirit. The, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises to Joel and Jeremiah have been realized in the people, the church, in houses. Uh, just a little bit of detail as I close. Um, and if you want the more academic um, paper on this, I've sent around a paper. But, but for the first three centuries of the church, the church was not a legal religion in the Roman Empire. There were no church buildings before Christianity became the official Roman religion after AD 325, no public church buildings. Uh, but what I've sent around is a church that was in a house. And what is interesting, that there's no altar, there's no front and back, it's just a place to gather. Oh, there's a baptistry, for those of you who are Baptists, you'd be encouraged, you know. What happened when the Roman Empire did start building churches? Well, you had the priests at the front after pagan practice. They were called priests. The Roman emperor could sit at the front. And then they were stratified with the slaves at the back. Ring any bells? That's the Christendom model which started in AD 325 and, well, it's continued to this day. The slaves sat at the back or on the floor. And so the apostles had to try and encourage them, even at that stage, not to stratify. Not to think that there's professional speakers who are at the front and then those who just need to remain quiet or can't speak because they can't do it as well as the professional person at the front. No. The Spirit has been poured out so that we can take the gospel to absolutely anyone, absolutely anywhere, whether we are four or 104, because that's why the Spirit has come. And that's one of the things we want to keep calling ourselves back to by this phrase, starting in the home. So let's just pray that God would help us to commit ourselves to this afresh, to be expectant and confident that what Jesus Christ did he can still do in our houses, as he always has done and always will. Let's, let's come to him now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you welcomed absolutely every kind of person. This sinful woman that we read of, the Pharisees, the paralyzed, absolutely every kind of person you were willing to minister to and to forgive through your ministry, your death and resurrection, your identity as the Son of God. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you've met us. Please help us to minister in the power of the Spirit as you have promised your people who are able to do. Lord, please send us out. Help us to go from here with confidence and expectation that you still forgive people wherever they are. And we ask this for your glory's sake. Amen.